open up your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start uh, a new sermon series this morning that we're calling Snapshots of the Kingdom. And I'll explain a little bit of uh, why we call it that as we go on. Um, but I was thinking this week that God loves telling stories. I don't know if you've thought about that before, that God loves to tell stories. Uh, we've had the privilege the last year and a half or so to go through the story that he has told in the Bible uh, week by week and book by book and, and made our way through the whole story. And that was, that was wonderful. I loved doing that, seeing how from the beginning God was crafting a story, telling a story uh, from the creation of the world until the eternity and the future. He is telling a story and continues to. And I, we love stories as well, typically, as people. Uh, and there's a quote that uh, an author named Mike Cosper wrote where he said that story is a great gift from a great storytelling God. He said that story is a great gift from a great storytelling God. And we love typically to tell stories or at least to listen to stories as people are good storytellers. We love to listen to stories that people have told. And we're going to take uh, time over the next seven weeks to look at some of the stories that Jesus himself told. The stories that he taught uh, are used to teach his people, to teach his disciples and that are now in the word of God and are there to teach us as well. And so it's amazing to me that God could write a masterful story in all eternity past and all eternity future, but then in the form of Jesus, God the Son, as he became a human, he could also tell these really captivating small stories that sometimes are just a couple sentences long as well, but that had a lot of power and punch to them. And so we're going to look at these, some of them at least. We're not going to get to look at all of them. These uh, stories that Jesus himself taught and see how he used them to impact his disciples, and then how God may use them to impact us as well. And so we're going to start with this one in the book of Mark, from verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Some people call it the parable of the sower. Some people call it the parable of the soils. Uh, but we're going to uh, read through some chunks of this story, and we're going to pause uh, every so often and share a bit of thoughts and try to make sure we're uh, all tracking along together. And so and I trust you'll see why, when we do, why we pick this one in particular, why we are starting here as we look at the story of the stories that Jesus taught. And so we're going to read the first two verses to start just to kind of get the setting and what's going on as Jesus is about to tell uh, this very powerful story. This is the setting that Mark describes, Mark 4, verse 1 and 2. He says that he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them. And then in a, a couple minutes, we're going to read the actual story uh, that he told. But I wanted to point out a couple things here so we kind of remember who this is that is speaking and why he's going to start to tell uh, stories. I want to point out one thing to you that you've probably noticed before. I at least want to point out to you as a new point, if you haven't, is that Jesus is said to be a teacher here. That's how Mark starts this chapter. It says that Jesus began to teach beside the sea and that a crowd gathers around him. And then in verse 2, he says that he was teaching them many things. And I just want to sit on that for just a second because so often, and rightfully so, we emphasize that Jesus came into our world to become our Savior, to go to the cross, to die in our place, and uh, to the tomb so that he could be raised from the dead, so he could be one who offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And we talk about him as Savior, and that is certainly the primary reason that he came. 
But you also see dozens of chapters and uh, things that precede his death and his resurrection where he is teaching. He spent years going around to cities and having little pockets of people that he would teach, that he would actively seek uh, to, to share information with, but also shape them as people. And that's amazing to me when I stop and think that Jesus was willing to teach. Some of us, including myself, if I'm honest, sometimes have a hesitancy or a reluctance to teach certain people. Uh, if, when you're a kid, sometimes if you have a younger sibling, you uh, maybe like them when they're a baby, but then you get kind of annoyed that you have to teach them how to tie their shoes or how to go to the bathroom or how to, like, you have to teach them these things that can be very annoying. Like, why do we have to teach you these things? Or when you get into the workplace and you get to a place where you're training a new employee for like the hundredth time, it gets really aggravating. Like, why do I have to keep teaching people all this stuff? Like, it should be so easy to them. Uh, when we're a parent, we can do the same thing where we have a reluctance to teach. When we're a college senior, we we're, we're get frustrated with freshmen who don't know their way around campus or don't know where to go to get such and such. And we, we can get so easily frustrated when it comes to teaching. But this is God himself coming into our world and then being willing month by month, day by day, week by week, year by year to keep teaching people who didn't have a lot to offer him in return, who actually offered him insults sometimes in return. You see that Jesus is a teacher, and that ought to make us marvel that he would teach them and that even 2,000 years later he would still be willing to teach us, lowly us, when he's the creator of the universe, the Lord of the universe, that he would teach but you also see here that he's a teacher in a unique way. He's a storyteller, too, as we kind of already alluded to. Mark says in verse 2 that he was teaching them many things in parables. And parables, if you don't, maybe if you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with what those are. But in our society at large, we don't talk about parables, or most people might not even know what those are. But parables, if, there's different ways you can describe them. But parables were essentially stories used to teach. Uh, they were stories that people would tell, sometimes really short, sometimes more elaborate, stories they would tell in order to teach something, in order to convey something. And they're, they're always fictional stories. If, you, if kids, you're in school, you're learning a fiction book, it's like make-believe, or it's not actual reality, a fiction story. These stories that we're going to look at the next seven weeks are fiction. They're not like, there's not a real guy Jesus is talking about that we're going to read about who is going out and throwing seeds on the ground. This is a make-believe story. All these parables are going to be fictional stories, but they're intended to teach us about real things. They're intended to teach us about the actual world we live in and, and about God and about our response to him. They're to teach us real things by using fictional settings. Uh, one author kind of described it this way. He said that uh, parables are like an expanded analogy. An analogy is like when you say, this thing is sort of like this thing. Uh, but you're trying to really, by describing this, you're actually trying to teach about this, this other thing. And so when Jesus tells these stories, he's, he's giving an analogy to describe something very real. Probably the thing we are familiar with in our culture that would be similar to parables is something we call fables. If you grow, if you grow up hearing fables like uh, the boy who cried wolf. Or you hear the fable of the tortoise and the hare, and how they have this race, and how all, everything that unfolds. When you tell those stories, you're not actually teaching about a literal turtle. 
right? And a literal, like there's a real rabbit who would actually take naps on the, next to trees during some race where people are cheering them on. That, that's not happening. It's a story that's to teach about diligence and about perseverance and hard work. Uh, so we're familiar with those fables. And parables are somewhat similar. It's telling a story to try to teach something about the real world. Probably the most clever way I heard somebody describe this is they said that to, we can think of them as imaginary gardens with real toads in them, if that makes any sense. Like that, it's make-believe stories, but to talk about real stuff. And so we're going to read stories that Jesus taught in the weeks ahead and this morning, but these are intended to teach us something about the real world and about God himself and about ourselves. And so I want to read this story, this first one. It's going to, the story itself you're going to find in verses 3 to 9. Uh, that's the story itself, and then we're going to see some explanation afterwards. But I just want, for now, just to read the story. I'm not going to try to explain, a, like, what everything means. Jesus will do that for us here in just a minute. But listen to the story uh, that he tells, verses 3 through 9. Jesus said this, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And that, that's not, for kids, that's not sowing like with a needle. It's like S-O-W, it's like throwing seeds out. So as he sowed seeds, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I just want to point out a couple things so we don't miss the story. I want you to know how he starts. He says, Listen. That's the very first thing he says, and we'll come back to that towards the end. He says, Listen. But then the story that he tells is a pretty simple one. It's of a, a guy who has seeds. He goes out and throws them in all these different places. And then based on where they land, there's different things that happen. There's some seed that falls on this beaten down path that people have been walking on. And what happens there is birds come and eat that. They just take it away. So obviously no growth happens from those seeds. Then he describes this rocky ground that would have had a bunch of rocks in it, even at the top. And those seeds go to that ground. And they might grow up, boom, real fast. Uh, grow up pretty quickly, but then because they're not able to get roots out, that thing, when the sun comes up and the heat comes, it just gets withered and dies. There's no sustained life in it. And he talks about how some seed goes to this ground where there's all these thorns that are right there as well. And even if it's starting to try to grow, even as it does, there's all these other more powerful and stronger thorns that just choke it to death, that don't let it actually grow the way that it's supposed to. And then the last one he tells about, he says there's this some seed that actually falls on good ground, on good soil. And he says, those grow how they're supposed to. They, they grow up and nothing burns it up, nothing chokes it off, nobody takes the seed away. The seed goes in the ground uh, and it grows as it's supposed to and it produces a good yield. It, it produces a lot of grain like the seed was intended to. And so this is a pretty simple story. Uh, and then note though, he, just as he started, he said, listen at the beginning because this is going to be important. In verse 9, at the end of it, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's not on accident that that's at the beginning and end of the story, and we'll see that here in just a minute. So Jesus has told this story 
But, and we're going to pause for just a second before he comes back around and explains that actual story, what it means, because Mark has this little dialogue in verses 10 to 12, uh, right on the heels of this, where we get a little bit of a, a glimpse into why Jesus taught this way at all. Like, why did he use stories? Like, why is he going this angle? Why didn't he just give sermons or sermons on the mount over and over again? Like, why did he use stories? And I think we'll see that in verses 10 to 12, and then we'll get back to this specific story. So follow with me, verses 10 to 12. Uh, This is very interesting. It says that when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and then he quotes Isaiah 6, a, a very famous passage. He says that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so this is a very interesting thing. I want to point out to you that they are not, at this point, just asking him about that specific story. Did you catch that? It doesn't say that they ask him about that parable. It says in verse 10, when this crowd is within this smaller crowd, they ask him about the parables, plural. That's what verse 10 says. And so they're asking him, like, why are you teaching this way? Like, we know some people do this, but, like, why are you using parables? Why are you teaching with stories? And there may have been a ton of reasons why Jesus did this, okay? There probably is a lot of reasons that Jesus taught in parables. He could have said stuff like, you know, like, stories have power. And, like, they they capture attention of people, even of children. He could have said that, and that would be true. He he could have said that stories make ideas stick. They take take an idea and they, like, lodge it in your memory. He could have said that, but he didn't. He could have said, you know what? I am standing in a, or sitting in a boat talking to people on a seashore. This is not like a lectern, like, uh, which they wouldn't have even had back then. But this is not like a format to, like, give long lectures to people. These are, like, fishermen and kids. And, like, I'm telling them stories because that's the, the easiest thing to appeal to a broad audience. He could have said that, too. But he doesn't say any of that. The re- the, why he says he's teaching in parables is kind of weird to us. It's kind of unexpected to us why he says he's doing that. I would point out to you just briefly that he, when he's answering their question about these parables, he starts to say, you know what, there's, there's two responses that are going to happen to my teachings. Did you notice he talks about how there's people on the outside in verse 11 who he says to them, everything's in parables. But he's talking to these people who are with him. He doesn't use this word, but it's, it's like they're on the inside. And he says to them, to that group of people that are there with him and listening, he says, to you guys, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. But that doesn't mean is that to these people who are listening that like Jesus gave them like special like code words and information in private that he didn't give to other people. It's not a secret in that sense. The same stories, the same message is going out to everybody. But he's saying something about these people who are close to them that is true, that God has started to give them understanding. God has started to like help them see stuff and understand things and want to learn more and want to respond to Jesus. They've, they've had that effect as they've started to hear. But he says to these outsiders, there's this big group of people who they're hearing me teach, they're hearing me tell stories and call them to respond to certain things and believe certain things. But to them, he says, everything is in parables. He says they see the same stuff, but they don't perceive it. They hear the same stuff that you hear, but they don't understand it. 
And he, he's, he's describing how there's this difference of people and the responses they have. And I think that gives us a hint as to why he used stories. Because stories, if you think about it, are a, an indirect form of communicating, right? It's not like he's saying some direct command, like do this. It's an it's a indirect form of teaching. That As these stories come to the people on that seashore, and as they come to us these next seven weeks, as these stories come to people, it's going to be very revealing whether we lean in and listen and really want to learn more and want to follow what Jesus is saying or whether they just fall on us and they go in one ear and out the other or they bounce off of us and we don't pay any attention to them. That starts, these stories and their effect on us start to reveal if we're on the inside with Jesus or if we're remaining on the outside. And so Jesus is telling these stories to start to reveal that to people. Like, are you going to listen to me and like start to see what I'm trying to say and start to have one insight and greater understanding of what I'm telling you? Or are you just going to keep me at arm's length and think maybe I'm a good storyteller or maybe I'm a kook and that you just keep me at an arm's length? And he's saying these stories are going to reveal that. They're going to start to show where you really stand in relation to me, whether you're coming to ask more and learn what I'm calling you to do or whether you're just going to dodge me and, and walk away from me. And so he tells them that's why that he's using parables. And parables certainly were not the only way Jesus taught, but he's describing at least a little bit why he did use them at times. And so I want to jump down to verse 13 now because this is where I, I think, well, not I think, it's very evident. Jesus starts to give us an explanation of the parable and this is going to be something that is unique like as we look over these parables in the weeks ahead this like having an actual explanation written out that jesus gave is really unusual like most parables at least as they're recorded in the bible they're just written like how jesus told them and then we're left to figure out what does that mean what like what what's he getting that what's the point he's trying to but here we have the very words of the storyteller himself explaining the story and what he's trying to get at why he's talking about seeds and different kinds of ground and so i want you to listen carefully to how jesus explains this because now he's given this answer about why he teaches parables in general he's going to hone in on this specific one about the soil and the seeds so this is what he says, start in verse 13 and go to verse 20. It says that he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on, count, on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But for those that were sown on the good soil, or those that were sown on the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And so, uh, this is unusual, like I said, for us to have an explanation, but it gives us insight into what Jesus was getting at with this story. I want to point out a couple of things and then try to draw out some application for us. Did you notice that he doesn't give like any detail at all about who the sower is? Like who that is supposed to symbolize. Like we don't need to know that. 
to understand. He just calls them the sowers still. And he says, but he does tell us a little bit about what the seeds are to represent. He says that the sower sows the word. That's probably how yours translates it. And that's good, that he sows the word. And even that is kind of general, right? He just says that the sower throws seeds out, and those seeds are supposed to represent the word, presumably the word of God. Uh, the message of the kingdom of God. You see Jesus talk about that a lot. But that's what the seed is. It, it's the word that goes out to all different types of people. And we know that these gr- the ground and what happens there is supposed to represent people because Jesus makes that very clear. He starts to say, this type of thing that I talked about is representing this type of people. And this type of ground I talked about is to represent this kind of people and so on and so forth. So the, the soils are supposed to represent people and the way that what happens with the seed is supposed to represent how people respond to that word when it comes to them so he says for example like when the when the seed is sown on the path he says that for those people as the word comes to them satan he says comes and just picks it up like a bird picking up grains or uh, seeds like he just instantly picks it up and then obviously it has no effect on those people even though they heard the word it just instantly gets snatched away by satan and he says that those uh that are in the rocky ground he's no he says those people the, the the thin rocky ground it's kind of odd he says like those are people who receive the word of god with joy he says in verse 16, like instantly, right when it comes, they receive it with joy. But then, and they start to even grow a little bit. But then when hardship comes, when that sun comes, he says that sun and heat he talked about in the story is supposed to represent tribulation or persecution that comes to these people and that they wither and die when that comes, when hardship comes, when difficulty comes. Those are the people uh, who wither. He talks about uh, the thorny ground. He says it's supposed to represent people who they hear the word, but he says the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word. And so even though that person, maybe they heard the word and they're maybe making some small efforts to grow and to receive it, there's a lot more strong other things and other desires that are just choking off that life. And so desire to be rich or to be famous or to have all this stuff and possessions, he's saying those desires are way stronger than the word of God in that person's life and they're just killing that person spiritually. But he says that last one, the good soil, he says it's to represent people who when they hear the word, he just says very simply, they accept it and they bear fruit. Like when those people hear the word of God, they, they want to believe it. They want to do it. They want to, to learn more. And so what is he getting at? Because he's explaining a little bit of what this parable means and what he's at least referring to with the parable. But I want to point out a couple of things about meaning of of parables in general and this one in particular parables typically have one main point they're trying to get across as we'll see in the next seven weeks they typically have one main idea they're trying to teach that they're, that they're trying to convey like we are somewhat familiar with that concept when we tell some of those fables in our culture the question we often ask if you remember this when you're a kid at the end of the story we say and what was the moral of that story Right? Where we, we're trying to take the whole story and say, there's really one thing, there's one like idea I want you to walk away with uh, from this story. I don't care what kind of tree the rabbit leaned up against and where, how, what pace the turtle actually went at. Like, what is the point? Like, what is the thing that the story is trying to get across? And sometimes when we read these stories of Jesus, 
we want to like read into every little detail. Like every little every little detail is supposed to like be symbolic of a whole bunch of other stuff. So we could come to a story like this and be like, oh man, like there's four kinds of soil and the seed of God's word goes to all of them, but only one of them brings growth. So when we throw the seed out to people, we can only expect about like a 25% success rate or something like that. Like we can try to like think every little thing is supposed to symbolize something else. And when we do that and start looking way down into the details, we can miss what is supposed to be the obvious, like hit you in the face. Like this is the point of this story. And what I think that is for this story, like what is the point of it, I would, I would point out a few details in the story that I think show you that. Every time as Jesus is explaining these four different types of soil and what they're to represent, did you notice in every single one of them he says, when they hear such and such happen. And then he talks about this other group. When they hear, such and such happens. And when this other group, when they hear the word of God, this is what happens. And then the last group, when they hear the word of God, this is what happens. And Jesus is trying to make a point about when the word of God comes to people, how do they respond to it? Like when they hear the word of God, what do they do with it? Like how do they receive it? Or not receive it. That's why when he actually told the story back at the beginning, I pointed out in verse 3 and 9, he started by saying, listen. And he ended it by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he's not just wanting them to know some story about seeds and about different kinds of ground, like it's some agriculture lesson. He's wanting them to see the word of God is coming to you. How are you going to respond to it? The word of God, through this story and through everything else I'm going to teach Jesus, is going to come to you. What are you going to do with it? He said, and he draws this distinction that some people, they, they don't even listen at all. It just gets taken away. And some people, uh, they receive it just real briefly, but they just receive the easy parts of it. And when, when the call to suffer and endure for the Lord comes, they wither. Some people uh, have all these other desires that, that rival it and choke off life in them, but the, the, desi- the, the response Jesus is driving for is that good soil. Like when the word of God comes to people, he wants to see people accept it and bear fruit. That's what he wants people to do, is to respond the way that good soil does. When the word of God comes to us, we're to accept it, we're to, to listen to it, we're to do what it says. I would summarize Jesus' message of this parable maybe this way, that when you hear God's word, heed God's word. When you hear God's word, heed God's word. Because it is not just enough for us to just hear the word of God. He talks about all these different kinds of soil where the seed comes, the people hear, like they are hearing the truth. They're hearing the word of God, but it has no effect on them. They're not actually receiving it. They're not listening to it. They're not trying to implement it into their life. Jesus is saying, if you look even down at verse 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear. Like when the word of God comes to you, whether you are five or whether you are 80, like God wants you to listen. He wants you to ask questions. He wants you to try to understand it. He wants you to think, what is his word telling me that I need to do or believe or feel or change in my life? He wants us to heed what he says in his word, not just to hear it. I love that song we sang right before we opened the word. It's called Speak, O Lord. Uh, there's a lyric in that song that we just sang, and I trust you sang, or I hope you did. 
where we told God, take your truth and plant it deep in us. But he didn't just stop there. He said, uh, we sang, shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. And that is symbolic of this story and what we ought to do when the word of God comes to us, whether it is on Sunday mornings in this room or whether it's when you're opening up your Bible at home or when you're listening to it, when you're running or whenever it is that you're hearing it, God wants you to receive it and to let it come into your heart, not just let it come into your ears and and go out the other side or your eyes and go out the other one, but to let it sink into your soul and be affected by it. That is what the response is that he wants us to have to his word as it comes to us. This parable in some ways is like four parables wrapped into one. There's like four pictures, four scenes, isn't there, that, that Jesus is describing about the, this kind of soil and that kind of soil. There's four different ones. And I want to briefly use those images that he gave and this response he's calling to, to heed the word of God, to speak to us in this room who would be in some of these similar circumstances, who these descriptions of these kinds of soil and the response hearing the word of God might depict you right now in your life. There's some of you who, as Jesus is describing this seed that comes to the path, that falls upon the path, and Satan comes and just eats up that seed and doesn't let it come into your heart. There are some of you in this room, I promise, who are in that condition. That you have sat in this room, maybe even dozens, if not hundreds of times, you have sat in classes, you have opened up your Bible at home, but as the word of God comes to you, it just bounces off of you. Like, but it is no sooner than you get your butt off of the seat and walk out of this room that you forget what God said through the word. Or when you step up, when you stand up from your table at home where you were reading that you forget it. And you, it doesn't bother you that you forget it. And I, we don't need to be like these master memory people. But we need to, when we hear the word of God taught, when we read it, we need to do our part to let it sink into us and try to remember it and try to, to be impacted by it. If your heart, some of us are more sinister in that we just have, we know we have a hardened heart toward the word of God. And we maybe just come in here and don't even want to be here. But we come because our mom or dad tell us to or because it makes my wife happy. And I just come and I tolerate teaching. And I hear the word of God come Sunday after Sunday to me, but I don't do anything with it. And Jesus is saying, listen, like, listen to me. I'm trying to talk to you. Like, I am the Lord of the universe who came to suffer for you and be, die on the cross and be raised from the dead. I am speaking to you. Why would you be so foolish to not listen to me? And he would tell you, listen. Some of us are on the rock. We would be the rocky ground. This I see most often as someone who's done youth and children's ministry a lot. I see in young people a lot where we would be the rocky ground. that We, receive, we hear the word of God and we receive it with joy. Like, yeah, I want Jesus to be my friend. Like, I want forgiveness. Like, I want to live for him. And I, I start to spring up with life and, and a response to, to God. But then as I get older and I realize, like, man, Jesus called me to love my enemies and, like, he called me to put my sinful desires to death. And, like, he called me to endure mistreatment from people. Like, I don't want any of that. And, like, as hard things come that God calls me to do, I just wither. And my commitment to the word of God just goes away. 
if that is you, like, I would encourage you in your younger years, seek to plant deep roots that doesn't just, and parents, help your kids do this. Don't just plant roots that are shallow, that only ever talk about the, the bliss and the delight of Christian life, but call them to do hard things. Jesus called us to do hard things and to put self to death and to, to, to love him even when it's difficult and to obey him. We want to see people who don't just have a quick life and then die off when hardship comes in life, but people who become like strong plants that grow and have faith that can endure hardship. And so we ought to, to listen to the word of God, even the hard parts, even the things that call us to, to, to suffer, all the, the parts that call us to do difficult things. There's some of you, this I see in many around my age and older, that would, that would be what Jesus describes as the thorny ground. Where you maybe in some sense, as the word of God comes to you, you maybe kind of want to grow a little bit. Like there's this little bit of desire to obey him. But there are way stronger factors at play, way stronger forces at play in your life than the word of God. You have a desire to climb some corporate ladder that way outweighs your desire to, to submit your work and your career to the word of God. You have a, a desire to, to gain possessions for yourself or for your family uh, that far outweigh God's call to be generous to people. Like you have this desire for stuff and things and to impress that far outweigh your desire to humbly come to the word of God and let it shape you. And if that is so, if there's these stronger forces coming into your life, then take them out, chop them down. Like when there's weeds in our garden, we pull them out, right? And we, let, we put good seed in and we seek to make that grow. If, if you have desires that are choking off the life that the word of God is seeking to build in you, then cut them off and ask others to help you do so. But there are some of you I know in this room who are the good soil. That you, as you hear the word of God, whether you're a child or whether uh, you're an adult, you are seeking to receive it. You're like, I want to keep learning. Like, I want to do what God's word says. I want to see my life be changed and to live for him. All I would say to you is keep doing that. Like, keep having that attitude of wanting to learn. Wanting, if Jesus is the teacher, you're to be the learner. Like, and you ought to be humble enough to say, I want to keep growing as I get to be a teenager, as I get to be a college student, as I uh, get to be a young adult, as I become uh, established in my career and to my elderly years. I want to keep being a learner. I want to keep letting the word of God come to me and be planted in my heart so that I can keep growing. These pictures that Jesus gives are not just a once blip on a radar screen snapshot of a life, but they're describing a whole orientation of your life. Like, am I going to keep letting the word of God come to me and be planted in me so that growth comes? I talked a little bit about how we can read parables in the wrong way. One wrong way that we could read this parable is to say, you know what, well, I'm just such and such kind of soil. That's just who I am. Like, I, I'm, I'm the thorny soil, and I know it, or I'm the, the shallow, rocky soil, and I know it, or I'm the path, and, like, people have tried to tell me for years I need to listen to the Word of God, and I just don't want to. And I'm, I, That's just how I am. I'm just such and such soil, and Jesus is describing me to a T. And you could read the story that way, but you are not soil. Like, you are not dirt. Like, you are a human being that you can change how you respond to the Word of God. You can do it today. Jesus doesn't just tell the story, say, that's how these people are, and that's how these people are, and that's how these people are, and nothing can ever change. He says, listen, 
Like, pay attention to me. Like, you have that capacity. You are a human being that God can change your heart. And he can give you, if you've never had it before, or you used to long ago, and you've been squelched by the heat of life, or things have choked out life, and a desire to hear the word of God and to heed it, he can change you. And he wants to change you. Note what he said in verse 12, the phrase I love. He says, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Like, that is available to you. If you have lived your whole life as a beaten path, never letting God's word come into your heart. If you've let other things just choke out the, the effect that the word of God has had on your life. If you're on this shallow, rocky ground and you've maybe had a spurt of growth and it's gone away, Jesus says, turn and be forgiven. Like, let God make your heart new. Like, start believing what he says. Start doing what he says. Start asking questions and ask people to help you learn. God will forgive you, and he will make you into ground that is good if you ask him to do so. He will do that, and I would urge you to do that today because Jesus is far more than just a teacher. Like, he taught some awesome stuff, and we'll look at these stories the next few weeks, but he is the Savior of the world. He didn't just teach lessons and tell people, live this way and live this way. He died on the cross for our sins, for our hard-hearted, beaten-down path responses to his word. And for us letting thorns come up and kill the life that we're supposed to have, he took those upon the cross and suffered for them and offers us forgiveness for them. Whether it's been for the last week or for the entirety of my life, he offers forgiveness to me and to you if we will turn. I want to point out one thing in closing. If you look at verse uh, 13, I think this is helpful to us and sets up, us up well for the weeks to come to read these other parables and to hear and to heed what Jesus would say to them. I don't know if you noticed this the first time that we read it. We kind of skipped over it. But in first, verse 13, it says that he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? I think that's an interesting question that he asked before he gives the explanation of this parable in particular. I don't know if you guys are familiar. This is a term a lot of younger people use in particular, but if you are familiar with the term something being meta, have you heard this before? Like there's a term that people start to use where they say, uh, an example would be like if there's a joke about jokes. Like that's like, oh, that's meta. Like that's deep. Or there's like a movie about movies. Or there's a poem about poems, something like that, they, people will say, like, oh, that's so meta, like, that's deep. This, I think, I would say, uh, this parable is meta, that it is a parable in a lot of ways about parables. It's a parable about the word of God coming to people and how they're going to respond to it. And Jesus says, if you don't understand this one, you're not going to get all the other ones. Like, this parable, I'm trying to tell you why I teach in parables and, and why they're effective is because the same story comes to people. The same story comes to people, and some want to heed it and listen to it and engage it and apply it, and some people just hear it as a, well, that's kind of an interesting story, and they walk away. And every parable we hear the next six, seven weeks is going to be this way. You're going to have an opportunity to hear it and either to lean in and say, I want to understand this. I want to be the good soil that receives this and sees what it has for me to do and how it calls me to respond. Or you can walk out those doors and say, that was an interesting story. And forget it completely. And let other things choke off the life that God was intended to bring through that very passage. So I'm going to pray for us that we would be people who when we hear the word of God, no matter what channel it comes through, through reading or hearing it taught, hearing sermons, hearing it in audio, that when we 
hear the word of God, stories or otherwise, that we would heed the word of God and do what it says. Would you all stand with um, me and I'll pray for us and then I'll leave us with a word of, of benediction from the book of James. Let's pray.